This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card for this week is Juan Nieves from the Milwaukee Brewers. Card number 515. Juan Nieves was a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers in the 88 top set. And Juan is responsible for the 25th greatest moment in Wisconsin sports history. <laughs> but before we get to that, I think yeah. we have some follow-up. We do. We do have follow-up. And this happened. This follow-up happened, I feel like, David, very soon after we finished recording the Ripken family episode last week yes matt as listeners are well aware not only is this a podcast about 1988 tops baseball cards but it's also a source for the best and worst of baseball related songs almost as soon as i was listening to the orioles episode i realized there is a great orioles baseball song and so i had to send it to you and say we got to do some follow-up on the next episode you couldn't be more right, David, because this song is fantastic. The song is called Orioles Magic, and I'm going to play the first minute for you right now. Something magic happens every time you go. You make the magic happen. The magic of Orioles baseball when the game is close. And the yokes are hot There's a thundering roar from 34 To give it all they've got And you never know Who's gonna hear the call Every game does a different star That's the magic of Orioles Magic, magic, magic. David, I don't know about you, but I am jacked to record a podcast after listening to that absolute banger, Orioles Magic. I think that the first time I heard Orioles Magic was thanks to my friend Brian in Springfield. Uh, I know Brian is a listener and has submitted a question in the past. Uh, so thank you, Brian, for sharing Orioles Magic with us and with the rest of the world. It is magic, 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 magic. So many magics. And not only do we have the inclusion of this song into the 1988 Tops canon of uh, best team baseball songs, but you actually found some follow-up on the follow-up about a particular line in that clip. This song was written in 1980. It seemed like there were some references in the song of course there's a reference to earl weaver there and the always fun lyrics about baseball by someone who maybe slightly understands baseball <laughs> when they score those runs yes 
vague, vague references to things happening in baseball. Uh, the guy who wrote this song had also written a song called Royal Mania, mm. which I had also never heard of. But, Matt, this led me to think that maybe we need to do some kind of bracket of all of the baseball songs. Maybe on one side of the bracket we'll have the songs written for teams that won World Series titles, like the Berenguer Boogie. On the other, we can have more of these fight song kind of songs. Mm -hmm. And this one, when I was listening to the lyrics of it, it says there's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they've got. Yeah, when I heard that, I thought, is the stadium on 34th Street or something like that? Or like, is there a player? It was the manager? Was the manager number 34? Something like that. That was what I thought too. And I looked it up, and it is a reference to Section 34 of the old Memorial Stadium <laughs> in Baltimore. And a guy named Wild Bill Hagee. Oh, and Wild Bill Hagee was a beer-drinking, bearded Orioles fan who oh, would yes. cheer O-R-I-O-L-E-S. And he would make his body into the letters like the YMCA. That's, that's tough for the R. Yeah, I think if you got enough beer in Wild Bill, he could make any any letter happen. The O is pretty easy. So he would do this chant and became such a celebrity that he would get, that the players would wave hankies and call him down to do the the chant from the top of the dugout. Yes. He became this celebrity. So I love that he's immortalized in song. There's clearly some inside baseball here. And a little bit more on Wild Bill Hagee because he is like a patron saint of this podcast or should yes. be. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time of the 87, 88, late 80s Orioles, Wild Bill was boycotting the stadium. And he was boycotting the stadium because they stopped letting him bring his own beer. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. In the game before the beer ban went into effect he brought a, a cooler full of beer drank nine or ten of them and then threw the cooler off the upper deck and was removed from the stadium <laughs> and then boycotted the stadium until it was demolished oh. he later came back and uh, was around for the game when cal ripken broke lou gehrig's consecutive game streak and he did his chant after Cal did it. And he also did the chant at the Hall of Fame induction of Cal Ripken Jr. Mm. So Wild Bill continued to go to the games every once in a while until his death in 2007. And he talked about kind of the, the reason why he liked doing this. He said he gets to drink all the beer you want, make all the noise you want, never get in trouble. What more can you ask for? So, Wild Bill Hagee is the thundering roar from 34, as referenced in this outstanding song. That is awesome. Yes, he, Wild Bill Hagee, enters the, the pantheon of baseball fan greats. And now, <laughs> and now back to our card to Juan Nieves, left-handed pitcher, pulling the card up here on the Jumbotron, and... 
originally from Santorce, Puerto Rico. Why did we pick Juan Nieves this week, David? In, in another episode, we have talked about the numbering system of Topps cards. And this is number 515. So some of these cards, the numbers fives, the, the fives and zeros are star players or notable names. Nieves is a number five. I think the reason for that, he threw the only no-hitter in 1987. Huh. In the 1980s, there were not a lot of no-hitters thrown. Only 13 no-hitters were thrown in the 80s, which compared to the 90s, you had around 30 no-hitters thrown in the 90s, including seven each in 1990 and 1991. So Wands was the only one in, in 1987, so that was pretty unique. He was also really young when he threw it. He was only 22 years old. I think we'll get around to that game a little bit later, but I also thought it was interesting after looking into Juan, I think that big things were expected of Juan, and his career didn't exactly pan out as expected, but Juan had a really interesting backstory that led him into the majors. Okay, great. So here on the card, Juan Nieves is 6'3", 190, left-handed pitcher. The fun fact on This Way to the Clubhouse is that Juan signed as a free agent with the Brewers July 1, 1983 by Ray Poitavent, Felix Delgado, and Tom Bork, which is unusual, David, to see that the fun fact are the three guys who signed the contract along with him. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. This goes to his backstory a little bit and to... The way that the Major League Baseball draft worked, normally players who are eligible for the draft have to enter the draft. Mm -hmm. And so most guys who are in high school or uh, college baseball have to go into the draft and can't just sign as a free agent. Before 1989, players who were born in Puerto Rico were not bound by the draft Mm -hmm. rules. Mm -hmm. And so coming straight out of high school... Juan could sign as a free agent with whatever team he wanted to. Matt, as you said, he was raised in Puerto Rico. His father was a cockfighter, a trainer of fighting roosters. In a People magazine interview, Juan said that he owned 90 roosters, and this was legal and apparently a popular enough sport in Puerto Rico to be considered a job. Juan started pitching at 14 in Puerto Rico, and a former major league player saw him suggested to a Connecticut prep school coach. This is a smart kid. He's a really good pitcher. He's going to need a scholarship, but you should go check him out. So this coach from Avon old farms school (laughs) in Connecticut goes to Puerto Rico, sees Juan pitch. They check out his transcripts. They, have him write an essay about why he wants to attend a prep school in New England. And then they give him a scholarship to cover a $10,000 a year tuition, which was much more than his family made in a year at the time. So he gets this great opportunity and apparently was a really good student too. Avon Old Farm School, famous alumni include Pete Seeger, Mm. um, folk singer, we're not going to play any Pete Seeger songs. Okay, not, he's, not this week. 
and the founder of Bigelow Tea Company, as well as a uh, hockey defenseman Brian Leach mm-hmm. and author Richard Yates. He goes from Puerto Rico to New England prep school, doesn't have a ton of money, so he said his classmates chipped in to help him get the school uniform. He had a difficult time away from home dealing with the change of weather. Uh, Matt, you visited Puerto Rico. Is it anything like Connecticut? It is nothing like New England, and the food would be very different. The weather would be very different. And so Juan also missed, he missed his family. And like you said, dealing with culture shock of New England weather, different food. But he was an incredible athlete. We already know he could play baseball, had a great fastball. But he also was the captain of the school's basketball, cross country, and baseball teams. During his high school career, he went 19-1 and with a 1.05 ERA and struck out 288 batters in 196 innings. By his senior year, he had offers from 75 colleges, including Stanford, Princeton, and Yale. But his quote was, if the money's right, I'll probably go pro. College would be great, but my parents need the money. Okay, that is that explains something, David. I don't know if Maybe this is better for our other podcast about U.S. maritime law, but I feel like this is similar to the Jones Act, which requires ships that deliver goods to Puerto Rico to be U.S. chartered ships. It's strange. Like Puerto Rico always has very different rules applied to it. So this free agent thing, I feel like, is analogous to it somehow. So Juan, because he was from Puerto Rico, could sign a free agent deal. And so there was kind of a bidding war created. He received a bonus of $150,000 by signing with Milwaukee. Great. So looking at his minor league career quickly on the card, he's got, you know, ERA in the threes. He's got very good records. So he was seven and one his first season, 10 and three, eight and two, eight and three. So he's really tearing up the minor leagues and got called up then in 1986 when he was just 21 years old. Yes, and that's particularly impressive, Matt, about those stats in the minors is that he was 18 to 20 years old and he just really lit up the Brewers minor league system so much so that he was called up at 21 and was the ninth youngest player in the American League when he was called up. It's impressive. So he was, a lot was expected of Juan, and there's a a quote from one of the reporters in Milwaukee saying that the fans didn't wonder if he would win 20 games, but when he would win 20 games. He started his first season in 1986, 10-4, a really good start, but then he lost eight games in a row and ended up 11-12 in his first season with a 4.92 ERA. Losing eight in a row to end the season is a kind of a bummer, but still for his for his rookie year, that's not too bad. Let's look at the 87 season now. The 1987 Brewers were a really good team, and maybe this brings us to our second music clip of the day. We're not going to play as long of because the song is not nearly as good. Your 
Matt, there are multiple songs about the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers are a muse for bad writers of, of baseball jingles. Each brewer this season is going to have a different theme song. Is this what you're telling me? I think so. I think we're going to have to revisit brewer music. Uh... But in the battle between Orioles magic and brewer fever, Orioles magic wins 100%. Clear winner. The clear, clear yeah, undisputed champion of today's match is Orioles Magic. On April 15th, 1987, in a battle of Orioles Magic versus Brewer Fever, Brewer Fever won out when Juan Neves threw a no-hitter at Baltimore's Memorial Stadium. Juan was 22 years old, and at this point he didn't own a car. He's a, still a young pitcher in his second season. The Milwaukee Brewers won their first eight games in 1987. So they were on a really good run. They had Teddy Higuera pitching. Rob Deere was there, of course. We, you know, the most important brewer, Rob Deere. And I guess we should mention that Hall of Famers Paul Molitor and Robin Yount were there. They were pretty good, too. Pretty good players. And Juan was pitching. Tom Treblehorn was the manager. Tom Treblehorn, he's got his style that we talked about before of his jersey on top of his warm-up jacket, which we talked about in the Bob Sebra episode. We call that the Tom Treblehorn look. This is, this is not fashionable. It is really not fashionable. It looks really bad. It looks really bad. We should also talk about the Brewers logo because... Juan, in his picture on the card, is wearing the fantastic Milwaukee Brewers hat with the glove baseball MB logo. Yeah. And the Brewers went away from this in the 90s and had a more sleek logo. And it was a mistake. And I'm glad yeah. that they came back to the, the MB glove hand logo. The yeah. blue and yellow. It's beautiful. It's really good. You really, you just have to love when letters make up the shape of something else. It's, it's very, it's very pleasing. And the kind of use of negative space in the middle of the B to make a ball is also great. Yeah, it's good. Good logo, <laughs> Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. So this this um, this second start, this is one of the top fifty moments in Wisconsin sports history because it is the only no hitter ever thrown by a Milwaukee Brewer. Particularly interesting because there were so few no-hitters thrown in the 1980s. In this season where there are multiple Hall of Fame pitchers, you have Nolan Ryan still pitching, still pitching well, and Juan Nieves is the only guy to throw a no-hitter in 1987. So it, it was a, a rainy evening in Baltimore early in the season. It looks cold from the look of Tom Treblehorn. And there, there were only 11,000 people in the stands because, <laughs> as we've also discussed, that was not a very good Baltimore Oriole team. Juan said that he started weak. He had a mediocre fastball and an awful slider. If you watch, there's a, a short highlight clip of this game that shows a lot of, he got a lot of defensive help, including Jim Pachorik with a diving catch on a low line drive to left field in the second inning. So very early in the game, he's getting some defensive help. And Paul Molitor robbing Floyd Rayford and Cal Ripken of base hits down the line at third base in the fourth and fifth inning. Juan didn't have great control. He walked five batters, but he did strike out seven batters. And he said that his slider started to show up in the last few innings. 
in the ninth inning of this game, so going into the ninth inning of a no-hitter, he got a ground out and then a soft line drive to Paul Molitor. He went 2-0 down to Cal Ripken, and his catcher got a little bit worried that, you know, Cal Ripken, really good player. He doesn't want his young pitcher to give up the only hit of a game and blow his no-hitter against Cal Ripken, so he just has Neves throw two more balls, walk Cal Ripken, to get to Eddie Murray, which is also... Yeah, also a good, very good player. (laughs) And Eddie Murray had also hit a line drive earlier in the game that almost dropped for a hit. It was a difficult call for his catcher to walk Ripken to get to Eddie Murray, and Eddie Murray makes good contact on a line drive to center field that starts dropping pretty quickly, but you see Robin Yount playing in center field get a good jump on the ball. And it looked like if he just kept running through, he could have caught it, but instead he dives right at the end and makes it this dramatic diving catch to end a no-hitter, which is probably on Robin Yount's bucket list where he just said, this is my chance. So he makes a dive and later admitted that he didn't need to dive for that. (laughs) Yeah, it it was dramatic. It, It looks great. It's, and the team is very excited at the end, coming to celebrate Juan Nieves. And so he was 22 years, three months, and 10 days old. So one of the youngest no-hitter pitchers. So yeah, you have this very young guy early in the season, throws a no-hitter. Big things are already expected of Juan and for the rest of the season, the Brewers team was very good. They finished 91 and 71, but they still finished seven games behind the Detroit Tigers, who finished 98 and 64. And because there was not a wild card at that point, th- there was no playoff baseball for the Milwaukee Brewers. Juan was pretty inconsistent for the rest of the 1987 season. And I think that that kind of shows in just his first two games, he gave up six runs in the first game and still got a win and then threw a no-hitter in the second game. He would have one good game, one bad game. And he finished with a pretty good record in 1987, 14-8, but had a pretty high ERA of 4.88 because in those games where he was not good, he gave up a lot of runs in some short outings. So when this card came out, after that season, as a 22-year-old going 14-8, and eight, big things expected for Juan. He pitched in winter ball in Puerto Rico, comes into the season, and he went 4-4 four and four in his first eight games. And then he had to go on the disabled list with a sore arm. Goes on the disabled list, rehabs, and comes back in August. Finishes out the season 7-5, and five, brings his ERA down to 4.08. So... Pretty good way to end the season. But then after the season in 88 into the 89 season, he decided that he was going to try to change up his change up his training system to avoid injuries. So he put on 20, 25 pounds of muscle. He skipped winter ball, lifted weights. And when he got into spring training, he had lost a lot of his fastball. And the team found that he had a tear in his rotator cuff. Oh, man. So he's goes to the minors in 89, pitches in double A. 1990, he dro- he's dropped down to A ball. 
So he's 25 years old and had three seasons in the majors and is back in single A baseball. He had multiple surgeries to try to figure out his injury problems, but the speed never came back on his fastball. Milwaukee finally offered him a triple A contract and he declined, so they released him. He signed with the Yankees. They gave him some chances in preseason minor league ball and it just didn't work out for him. So in 1992, he finally called it quits. But when he went in and met with the Yankees and they told him that they were letting him go in 1992, they asked him to think about coaching. I think that's pretty impressive for a guy who's 27 years old for them to say, (laughs) why don't you think about becoming a pitching coach? And I think it maybe goes back to that Juan's intelligence and Juan clearly a smart guy and an influential guy. In 1992, he becomes a coach in the Yankees organization and sticks with them through 1996. He spent a couple years as a sports agent and then became a pitching coach in the White Sox organization, working his way through the minors from 1998 until 2008 when he was called up to the majors to be the bullpen coach for the White Sox. And he became a longtime White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper's right-hand man. So he would translate for Spanish-speaking pitchers, throw batting practice, and he stayed with the White Sox until 2012. So he's with the Sox until 2012, and then goes to the Red Sox for 2013, which is a pretty good year to go to the Boston Red Sox. Yes, he goes to the Red Sox in 2013. They have the second lowest ERA in the American League and go on to win the World Series. So Juan is given a lot of credit for... Uh, helping their the pitching staff in Boston. And then, unfortunately, that credit did not carry that far because in 2015, he was kind of scapegoated for an underperforming Red Sox team and then was hired in 2016 as the Marlins pitching coach, which 2016 was a particularly difficult year for the Marlins pitching staff. They set a team record for strikeouts, But in September of that year, their star pitcher, Jose Fernandez, died in a boating incident. In 2018, Juan's contract was not renewed. One of the notes I have here that during his time as a pitching coach, he also dabbled in acting. Uh, Juan had a small role in the Kevin Costner vehicle for the love of the game. Uh, which I have never seen. Also includes Steve Lyons, who we'll get to 1988 Tops player Steve Lyons. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what Juan's role was in that. Interesting, while Juan went 0-3 with an 8.06 ERA in the Independent League that year, Kevin Costner was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actor for For the Love of the Game. So I don't know who had a worse year, Juan or Kevin Costner. So let's wrap up Juan Nieves, an accomplished pitching coach and a top 50 moment in Milwaukee sports history. Uh, How else would you like us to remember Juan Nieves, David? Juan was out of the major leagues by the time he was 23 years old. And that's a little bit sad for a guy with who had a lot of potential coming out of high school And for somebody who so young had such a a great moment with this Brewers team, he ended up going 32 and 25 in his career, which only lasted three years in the majors, 4.71 ERA. 
While Juan was a pitching coach for the Marlins, he had a pitcher who was four outs away from a no-hitter. And the coach at the time was Don Mattingly, and Don Mattingly pulled that pitcher Mm. with four outs to go before a no-hitter. And that's something that in the 80s you never would have seen. And we've talked about that, the number of complete games, the number of shutouts. Juan said that he understood why they pulled the kid and that maybe if similar precautions had been taken when he was a young pitcher, his career might have lasted a little bit longer. I think Juan gets that, and maybe that helps him kind of connect with with these younger pitchers and that he can say, I flamed out at 23 and is kind of a cautionary tale. He said that it hurt leaving the game. Unfortunately, we're human and we break down, but with the no-hitter, I took a little bit of history with me. And so I personally thank you, Juan Nieves, for your moment in history, your moment in Brewers and Wisconsin history, and your moment in 1988 Tops history. Thank you, Juan Nieves. Thank you, listeners at home. If there is a card that you would like to hear us talk about, if there's a favorite baseball song of yours that you would like to hear, you know how to reach us. Just hit us on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Or you can email us at 1988topspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.